thank you for listening to the weekly message at First Baptist Church in Bushland, Texas. But uh, we're glad to have Jerry with us. Jerry travels all over the world uh, speaking to thousands and thousands of people. He's written several books. You'll have a chance to get a couple of those today uh, at the end. But uh, Jerry's a graduate from A&M. And I uh, was kind of sweating it yesterday a little bit. Kept, uh, we had a tough time eating dinner because uh, he was watching that game. And them hogs were making him nervous, man. But uh, in the end, he worked out for those Aggies. So he's, he's much at peace today and uh, ready to deliver the word of the Lord. So, uh, but uh, y'all welcome Jerry as he comes this morning. Jerry, come on, buddy. Well, thank you very much. Man, I am excited about being with you guys. Jeff, thank you for the introduction and the opportunity to be here. Just curious, how many of you guys have ever been to or you know what a t-ball game is? Can I see your hands? That's where these guys are not old enough to hit a moving object. So they hit a ball sitting on top of a little tee. Now, I want you guys to use your imagination. We have a guy who steps up to bat. He's got the big league chew right here. That's bubble gum. He's six years of age, but he's overgrown. He's as big as you can be and play t-ball. He pulls the bat back, and he literally swings for the fence. He almost misses the ball. The ball dribbles to the shortstop, who is five. He's as young as you can be and play t-ball. And adults, for the first time in his life, he bends over, scoops up the ball. He's caught a moving object in the game. And he is so excited, he pulls the ball to his chest, and he smiles. Now, for those of you who are baseball fans, this is a Houston, we have a problem moment. Because the guy who hit the ball is on the way to first. And the guy that was on first is on the way to second. The guy's on second is on the way to third. The pitcher just playing the position defensively yells out, throw the ball to third. And he holds it to his chest and smiles. He's so proud he caught it. And then the infield and outfield get in it together. The, the whole team's yelling together, throw the ball to third. And then, co- then the coach. Coaches in the Little League amaze me because they never get emotionally involved, right? So we have the coach. Both hands and both feet in the dugout, pulling the entire dugout back and forth. He's yelling with the rest of the team, throw the ball to third. And then the little boy yells out, Mama, where's third? I'm saying that to say this. We have a lot of students in America today that are screaming out, where is third? Ladies and gentlemen, between 750 and 800,000 middle school and high school girls will get pregnant outside of marriage this school year. A half a million will choose to end those pregnancies and abortions, spend the rest of their lives trying to deal with those scars. 50% of our juniors and seniors across America will be falling down drunk and driving twice a month, every month, this school year. That's why alcohol-related accidents kill more of our kids than any other cause of death. And think about this. Josh McDowell is telling us now that 91% of the kids who grow up in churches just like this or checking out on faith in church by age 18. We're losing 91% of our own kids. So we're going to do a conference this afternoon. I want you to li- please, please get this. This is not going to be like a Baptist or Methodist conference. Listen to this. Read my lips. We're starting at 5, not 5.01, not 30 seconds after 5. If it's just a pastor and me, we're starting at 5. I have 12 hours of stuff. We have 50 minutes, okay? I'm going to make you the same promise that Elizabeth Taylor made to all of her husbands when she was alive. I'm not going to keep you long. Okay, so we're going to start right at 5. We're going to do 50 minutes. We're going to talk about understanding students in a new millennium. I mean, you're going to understand why we're losing our kids. We're going to talk about what is the role of a parent, a grandparent, aunt and uncle, and passing on their faith in Christ. Communication, self-esteem, 
Some of you are thinking right now, I can see it in your eyes. <clears throat> I'm a grandparent. My kids are up and gone. I don't need to worry about this. Hello, if you're a grandparent and you get to hang out around your grandkids, you ought to be here. Some of you think right now, I got young kids. I mean, I don't have to worry about this stuff yet. If you wait till your kids get to middle school and high school to start doing what we're going to talk about today, you will have missed your greatest opportunity to make a difference. This is going to be for all parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, prospective parents. There's a guy driving out through West Texas. You'll love this. He saw a sign, and it said, horses for everyone. There were several smaller lines. It said, for fat people, we have fat horses. For skinny people, we got skinny horses. For crippled people, we got crippled horses. And for those who have never ridden a horse, we have horses that have never been ridden. You know what? It, it doesn't matter where you are in this deal. I promise you there's going to be something for you. Now, by the way, there is one group not invited. Parents, your kids cannot come to the 5 o'clock session. Hello, ding, 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 ding. You don't invite the enemy to your strategy session, okay? So, students, we're going to have something for you somewhere else in the building and uh, be just us as adults at 5. Ten-minute break. And then we want you to sit together as families at 6 o'clock. We're going to be journeying through the book of Proverbs, talking about communication. The topic is communication is. And so I uh, can't wait to spend the rest of the day with you. Genesis chapters 1 to 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for the opportunity to get into your word. Hide me behind the cross. I have nothing to offer anybody in this room. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that Christ would be lifted up high and holy. And I thank you that as he is, that he'll draw each of us right unto himself. Thank you for what you'll accomplish in every life. In Jesus' name, amen. Never break up anybody's home because I'm not a quitter. I care about my family. I'm in love with Connie. Alberta, this is my chance for a fresh start, and I'm taking it. I'm sorry. Then you should take it. If that's your chance, then you should take it. You're right. You and Connie deserve each other. You were lucky to have me. But you know what? I think I, I, think I already got the, the best part of you. And she's standing right out there. And she's waiting for me. I don't know what's left over. Just all of a sudden, doesn't look so good anymore. So what do you want? Why'd you come back? You want my, you want my permission? You want my condolences? <laughs> what, what, why, why'd you come back? I didn't want to do this today, but it's because I want a divorce, Bertie. What do you think you're doing? I'm going with you. Honey, that's impossible. But I'm going with you. No, you've got to stay here with your mama. Bertie, you going to help me out here? You told me you wanted me with you, remember? Listen, honey, I've got to go. Now, don't do this to yourself, okay? Don't make a scene. Now, go on back inside. Go ahead. 
Bernice, you know I'd take you with me if I could. You can! Try to understand, baby. Connie and I, we need this time to ourselves to try to make a go of it. Then I'll come back for you. I promise, I no. promise, I promise. Now go on inside, please. You want me, you wrote it in the letter. Wait, let me in, you want me. I'll always want you, Bernice. You're my little princess. No. But your mama, she needs you. No. And you need her. No, I love you. I love you, princess. I gotta go. No! What you've just seen is largely the state of marriage in America. God's plan is intimacy, but our experience is isolation. 50% of marriages end up in divorce, and 80% of those who stay married experience emotional and physical isolation. But in the book of Genesis, we read about a completely different plan. Chapter 2, verse 18 says, it's not good that man be alone. I'll make a helper that's fit for him. In verse 21, notice, God causes a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he takes a rib, and with that rib he made Eve. In verse 23, notice the excitement. Adam sees Eve for the very first time, and he says, this is at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. And in verse 24, the man leaves his father and his mother, and I want you to underline or mark this word. He cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh, oneness, intimacy. So we're going to do this morning, it's going to be way simple. I'm going to give you three keys to intimacy. Now, I realize that we have teenagers in the room. We have children, and we have singles, and single again, and you're not married, and you're thinking, what does this have to do with me? These are relational principles. So whether you're married or not, I promise you, if you relate to people, you'll find something that will help you next week. Number one, if you want to have intimacy, understand and value the differences. Now, we didn't look at Genesis 1.27. Let's go back and pick that up. The Bible says God created Adam and said, I can do way better than that and made Eve. Actually, it's not quite what that says. It says God made them notice, male and female, male and female, made he them. Read my lips. Men and women are different in incalculable ways. Had I said that in the early 70s, those who led the charge in the equal rights movement would have been very angry. They were trying to convince Americans, except for the obvious physical differences, that men and women are wired the same. Ladies and gentlemen, secular psychologists, sociologists, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, everybody agrees men and women emotionally and intellectually are wired way differently. Okay? Think about this. We're different in the way that we approach very simple things, like using the restroom. You ladies crack me up. You guys need support groups to go to the bathroom. I watch ladies in restaurants stand up and make public announcements. I need to go. Anybody else need to go? Can you imagine me saying to Pastor Jeff after the service, I need to go to the bathroom. You want to go together? You'd think we're weird. I, I, I used to enjoy the privacy of the bathroom, got married 33 years ago, and now my wife barges in. That's when she wants to solve all the family problems. I mean, we're, we're different in that you ladies like chick flicks. We guys like movies where cars go over cliffs and blow up. You ladies are so emotional that you think newborn babies look pretty. Hello? They look like aliens. I was there when both of mine were born. 
I said to the doctor, would you put that back in and reset the timer? It's not done. I mean, we're different in how we arrive at self-worth and self-esteem. I get on airplanes literally all over the world. I have never gotten on an airplane when a guy sat down next to me and started the conversation with, uh, how's it going with your wife and kids? I mean, any time a guy sits down next to me and starts a conversation, 100% of the time, it's, what do you do? And as quickly as possible, he's talking about what he does. And when he bought this company, they were doing 300000 Now they're doing $300 million. Men get their value in life through building this and fixing that. Ladies, on the other hand, they might be just as career-oriented, but they still largely get their core values in their relationships within the home. Now, I want you to imagine these two scenes. Guys, we come in at the end of a very long day. The wife brings up a problem with the kids or maybe her job. Guys, what do we do? We listen three to four minutes without interruption if we're having an amazing day. And then this is what we do. Honey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Guys, what are we trying to do? We're trying to quickly solve the problem. Men, have you noticed that none of our suggestions are ever acceptable? You know why? Listen to this. <coughs> she did not bring this up because she wanted you to fix it. She brought this up, listen, because she wants and she needs a conversation, a relationship. Now, men, I'm going to finish this tonight, but I, I'm going to drop just this idea this morning, okay? Uh, we, we are kind of like your basic Egyptian mummies this morning, which kind of means pressed for time, okay? So uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm going to finish this tonight. I want to give you this this morning. Guys. Our wives are not asking, do you love me? Men, our wives are asking today, do you still like me? When we dated, you wanted to talk. Now it seems you never have time for a conversation. Imagine this scene. We get in the car, and in five minutes, it's obvious to the wife <laughs> that we have no clue. Oh, wow, just about to dive off here. There's a little, this thing kind of cuts backward right here, okay? It doesn't just like go out to a corner. I, I did go to a and I told the students, okay? And uh, the great thing about being an Aggie is that we do get to use handicap parking. You know what I'm saying? And um, so anyway, we get in the car. It's obvious to the wife that we have no clue where we're going. And so she asks a very logical question. Honey, did you look at a map before we left? And then she makes a suggestion. Why don't you stop and ask for directions? Ladies, listen to this. Universally around the world, there are two things men don't do. We don't look at maps, and we don't ask for directions. And I know you get frustrated, but ladies, if you would just think differently, you would get excited about this. <laughs> think with me, okay? There are places in this world you would never see if we did those two things right there. Now, now here, here, here's the idea. I want you to get this. Understand and value the differences. Listen to this. If you spend your marriages, if you spend your relationships trying to change the people around you into what God did not make them to be in the first place, you'll spend your relationships in frustration and isolation. Understand and value the differences. Number two, remove the obstacles to communication. Now, some of you are wondering, you said open your Bibles to Genesis chapters 1 to 3. What does chapter 3 have to do with any of this stuff? Well, in the early verses in chapter 3, what happens? Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. Okay, you with me? They sin against God. 
Verse 8, notice that God comes walking into the garden. And in verse 9, you see one of the strangest verses in the Bible. God asked this question, where are you? Hello, he's God, and he knew where they were. This is a rhetorical question. He wanted Adam and Eve to understand two things, that A, their sin had separated them from him, and B, from each other. Listen to this, parents, students, singles. Anytime we sin, it separates us from God and the people we love the most. And if you don't believe the second expression, you have to go no further than verse 12. When Adam was confronted with his sin, what did he say? It's this woman you gave me. She's the problem. Now listen to this. If you want to have intimacy in any relationship, you have to communicate and you have to forgive. Now I'm going to begin this conversation on communication this morning, but I'm not going to finish it until tonight, okay? But I want to give you this morning the goal of communication. And I hope you'll write this down. The goal of communication is, one word, understanding. The goal of communication is understanding, meaning you're trying to understand what your mate, your coworker, your client, your child, your parent, you're trying to understand what they think, what they feel, and what they want. And in order to understand what a person thinks and feels and wants, you have to learn to listen with your eyes, your ears, and your heart. Now, when you come back tonight, we're going to be journeying through the book of Proverbs. It is literally the best book in the world on communication. And I'm going to teach you how to listen for understanding with your eyes, your ears, and your heart. All right? But for this morning, I want you to get this idea. 99.999% of the time, when people are talking to us, we are not listening. You know what we're doing? We're thinking about what we're going to say next, and I'm going to prove it to you. How many times last week did you say something like this? Somebody said something to you, and you said, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. Let me tell you about this experience. And you know what you were doing? You were thinking about that experience while they were talking. I used to say to my dad when I was about four or five, Dad, that scared me to half a death. Adults, I'm going to give you a statement right now that I pray scares you to half a death. Adults, are you ready? About 95 to 98% of the time, when your older elementary, middle school, high school person comes to you, what they bring up first has nothing to do with they, what they want to talk about. They're deciding whether or not it's safe. When one of your coworkers comes to you, what they bring up first is not what they want to talk about. They're deciding whether or not it's safe. And when you say, oh, yeah, I can relate to that and start reading your home movies into their lives, you may walk away thinking you're had a, you're, you just had a great conversation. But you know what they're doing? They're walking away thinking, next time I'll find somebody who cares enough to listen. I'm going to give you a Cherokee proverb that is worth the entire trip to show up at church this morning. You ready for this? Here, listen to this. He who learns to listen to the whispers will avoid ever having to hear the screams. Ladies and gentlemen, because we don't listen, our family, sometimes our businesses, our relationships are literally, they're falling down around us and in very deep, serious trouble before we even realize we've got a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to learn to listen and communicate. More about that tonight. Uh, let me just make, make a, a suggestion. 
My wife and I, when we got married, made two commitments in the area of communication, and I think they would help you. Now, by the way, I am not trying to tell you that my wife and I have a perfect marriage. We do not have a perfect marriage. My wife and I have been married 33 years, and uh, over 33 years, we've had three pretty big fights. Guys, I'm not bragging, just saying I've won all three of those fights, okay? Guys, in fact, my victory on the last one was so overwhelming that my wife literally came crawling and grappling to me on her hands and knees. It's true. I'll never forget what she said. She said, Jerry Pipes, get out from under that bed. I'm not through with you. Seriously, we made two commitments when we got married. They made a huge difference for us. Number one, my wife and I made a commitment. Listen to this. If we don't mean it, we don't say it. I just say, I grew up in the home with a, a sergeant in the Marines. My dad was a sergeant in the Marines. And, and my dad had an explosive temper. My dad would get angry and say the most sarcastic, cutting, hateful, caustic things to my mom and us kids. And you know what? Listen to this. He didn't even mean them. You could walk up to him an hour later and say, Dad, you really hurt me. You said this. And my dad would look at you and say, I didn't say that. You see, he didn't mean it. For him, he was just blowing off steam. But here's what the Bible says about that behavior. And ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get a ton of these things tonight. The book of Proverbs is the richest book on the planet in terms of communication. Here's what the Bible says about that. Rash words are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Let me tell you what I know about being stabbed. Um, unless you get somebody's heart, aorta, brain, brain stem, carotid artery, you're going to get over a knife wound. But here's what I know about being stabbed. It always leaves, listen, a permanent scar. My wife and I made a vow to God. If we don't mean it, we're not saying it. Now, a lot of people come to me and say, that's just so unrealistic. My dad had a bad temper. His dad, his dad, his dad, his dad is five generations deep. I'm an angry person. I got a short fuse. I can't help it. And to that I say, garbage, listen, you help it at work or you wouldn't have a job. How is it we feel the freedom to treat the people we love the most the way we would never, ever treat a coworker or a client? Now, I'm, I, I, I want to make you guys a promise tonight. If you will come back tonight, I'm going to give you a section. It's 12 minutes long. There are three principles. I'm going to give you three principles, 12 minutes. If you'll take notes, write these th three things down and do them, I'm going to make you a promise. I guarantee you that anger thing that's just beneath the surface, you say things you don't mean, come off in ways you don't intend, and you hate yourself for it, I guarantee you that anger thing will be 50% better in 30 days, and in 90 days, you can put this whole anger thing out of your life. If we don't mean it, we don't say it. In order to keep that commitment, we had to make a second commitment. You see, there are times that my wife and I really do get very angry at each other. So we take a time out. When it gets hot, we take a time out. But that time out means later today. Here's the principle. Never let the sun go down on your wrath. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to resolve the issue. For us, that has meant some long nights on occasion. <laughs> Last year, we didn't sleep for nine months. No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to get this resolved. 
I, I was in Boston, Pastor, and my host pointed out an intersection, and he said the worst pileup in American traffic history occurred right here. In dense fog and darkness, one truck hit another one, and then one upon another upon another, listen to this, until over 110 cars were piled up at this one intersection. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that it took the wreckers literally 48 hours to untangle the mess before traffic can move? You know what? That's where some of the families are in this room today. In your home, there was a broken promise or a broken trust. Somebody said something they didn't mean, but they didn't apologize. And one pile up upon another until the communication in your home is ruptured. By the way, this is not a negative message. This is a positive message. I just want you to know that uh, Jesus Christ in Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy that Christ would come. He would come and he would live the perfect life we can't live. And he would die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. You see, this is not about our problem. This is about the fact that there's a solution for the problem. Now, by the way, i got to ask you guys this question. What are, what are the requirements for getting into heaven? Have you ever thought about it? What is it going to take to get in? I'm going to stun you. One word. You ready? Perfection. If you're going to go to heaven, you can't have a sin problem. Now, I, I told you guys, I went to A&M. We're not real smart there, okay? We have a hard time at A&M with very simple questions. Blind people don't like to skydive. Have you ever thought about why? <laughs> well, it scares the CNI dog, okay? Simple things like that at A&M we have a hard time with. But, but think about this. If God lets sinful people like me into heaven, then heaven would be just like here. Heaven is going to be perfect. There will be no sin, no sickness, no disease it's going to be like God intended here to be. So if you're going to go to heaven, you can have a sin problem. And you're thinking right now, the Bible says all of sin. That means nobody's going. No, that's why Christ came. He lived the perfect life we can't live. He died on the cross. And then he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to God unless he comes through me. Why? Because it was Jesus that paid for our sins. So ladies and gentlemen, we got two choices today. We can have what we deserve, an eternity in hell apart from God, because we've sinned. Or, listen, we can have forgiveness. Now, here's the problem. Some of you think you have forgiveness, but you don't. You prayed a little VBS prayer. You said, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sin, I want to go to heaven. Read my lips, that prayer will not get you into heaven. To receive Christ, it takes two things. It takes repentance and faith. That means that you're going through life and you're doing what you want. And you're willing to turn around and say, I'm willing to go God's way. Christ, come into my life, take control of my life, make me whatever you want me to be. Have you ever done that? I'm not talking about being Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Jew confused. I'm not talking about coming down an aisle and, and, and getting in a pool. I'm talking about inviting the God of the universe to come into your life and be in charge. To receive what he did for you on the cross and trust him and him only to make you good enough to get to God. You say, how can I know if I've done that? I'm, it's so simple. Three numbers, 911, 9-11. If, if you're in this room and you're old enough, and I asked you, where were you when you heard about 9-11, everybody in this room would have a very definite and specific story. I was sitting in the Hilton Hotel in a business conference, 
the manager of the hotel came in, and he turned off our PowerPoint, and he turned on the television, and we watched the first tower come down. If I walked up to every one of you in this room and I asked you, where were you when you heard about 9-11, you would have a very specific story. You know why? Listen to this. This is not rocket science. You know why? You were there. It happened to you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've invited the God of the universe to come into your life and be in charge, you've changed ownership of your life. You may not remember the day or the hour, but you remember that specific event when you were forgiven and you were changed and he became the boss. And let me help you with this. If you don't remember that event, that event has never, ever occurred. Here's the good news. You're alive and kicking. You can get out of your seats today. The pastors will be here, and they'll help you to begin that relationship with Christ today. This news gets even better. When Christ comes into our life, I told you this is positive. Not only does he forgive us, listen to this. He gives us the ability to forgive and find healing in any relationship. Some of you may be thinking, I've I've heard this a million times, Jerry, you have no idea what my husband did to me, my wife did to me, my mom, my dad, this coworker. They stabbed me in the back. I can't forgive them, and I won't forgive them. Can I be honest with you in love? It is not what people do to us that destroys our lives. It's our response. Some of you are thinking, that's just a lot of psychological mumbo-jumbo. No, 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 no. Imagine you hear a rattlesnake in the bush. You have a machete. You're going to cut the head off the snake. By the way, this is not intelligent behavior. The only way a rattlesnake will get dead if I have anything to do with it, double-barrel, 12-gauge shotgun distance. But you try to cut the head off the snake, you cut the snake in half, the half with the head bites you. Are you going to die? No. If you ice it, if you elevate it, if you take anti-venom, you're not dying. But what if you decide the snake bit me, the snake is getting his, and you chase him through the bush? You're dead because you got bit? No. It's that poison circulating in your system as you run for revenge. Ladies and gentlemen, what do we need to do when people hurt us? And they will. We need to, in Christ, suck out the poison. And you know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that forgiveness. Look into my eyes. It is impossible to have intimacy with another sinful person, and that's all of us, unless we communicate, unless we forgive. Finally, you want to have intimacy? you got to make the commitment. Look at verse 23. It says, this is at last. Let's stop right there. This is at last means something was going on before, okay? Uh, one of the major principles of understanding the Bible is the principle of context. So if you, if you want to understand verse 23, you got to know what he was doing before. So what was he doing before? He was naming the animals. Think with me. The cows, the chickens, the fish, the gorillas. By the way, do you know why gorillas have such big nostrils? They got really big fingers. I just thought I'd help you out with that. I know you're wondering about that. But let me tell you what I know about gorillas. Listen to this. Gorillas are ugly. Cows are ugly. Snakes are ugly. When Adam saw Eve, she looked good. Do you see that in verse 23? This is at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Let me bring this up to date. If this were like in modern English, Adam would have said something like this. God, wow, this one is awesome, and this one is for me. Here's the principle. To make the commitment, you have to work to remember 
the wow. I want to tell you about the double-edged dagger called love is blind. Love is blind in the beginning means what? Love is blind. You don't even notice the things in your husband or your wife that will eventually drive you stark, raving mad. How many people besides me got false advertising when they got married, huh? But you know what? If you don't work to remember the good things, there'll be a time in your marriage, listen to this, here's the backside, when the only things you see about your husband or your wife are the things you can't stand, and then, ladies and gentlemen, you are in deep trouble. you got to work to remember the wow. The second part of the commitment is in verse 24. Notice the man leaves his father and his mother, get the word, he cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Underline or mark the word cleave. There are two metaphors from the Hebrew word that are just amazing. The first is to adhere to. This word literally means to adhere to. It's where we get the idea of superglue. Or it means to follow after with hot pursuit. Imagine that you go to the Olympics and you're in the 100 meters. You did not go to win the silver medal or the bronze medal. You're in second place and you're chasing the guy in front. You're doing that because you went to the Olympics to win the gold medal. That's the idea. If, if you want intimacy, you got to hang on to it. You got to chase after it. Let me give you an English word. You ready? If you want intimacy, this is what it takes W O R K. Does that not cut across the grain of our culture? What does our culture say about love? Love is a feeling you feel when you feel a feeling you never felt before. Our society says that you fall in love and correspondingly that you fall out of love. People come to me all the time, Dr. Jerry, I'm going to get a divorce. The sparkle's gone. I have fallen out of love. Listen, you don't fall in love. You fall in a hole. You fall in a lake. You fall in a ditch. You don't fall out of love. You fall out of a stinking tree. I mean, listen to this. We grow together or we grow apart as we either work at intimacy or as we choose not to. How many of you have ever heard this before? In marriage, you can either be happy or right. Do you know that some of the hardest work my wife and I do at marriage is just working to remember that one statement? How many of you can relate to this? My wife and I are talking in bed, and my wife says something like this, Jerry, what are you trying to do? I bet you turn that thermostat down to 60. I am freezing in here. Deborah, I didn't touch it. Yes, you did. I didn't touch it. Yes, you did. Now, guys, I don't know what you do, but this is what I do under these circumstances. I go over by the thermostat. I don't actually touch the thermostat because I didn't touch the thermostat to start with. I get back in bed, and in 10 minutes, it cracks me up. My wife says, thank you so much. It feels so much better in here. And I want to say, nanny, nanny, poo-poo, I told you I didn't touch it. But here's why I don't do that. 30 minutes later, my wife's kicking off the covers. What'd you do? Turn it up to 90? I am burning up in here. I was in Dallas, and a guy walked up to me at church, and he said, Jerry, uh, I want you to pray for me. I'm going to divorce my wife and marry my administrative assistant, and I want you to help me work out the details. I said, I'm missing that in the Bible. He was on the double-edged dagger, love is blind. The only things he could see about this lady 
were the things he liked. He didn't see the things that would eventually drive him crazy in her. The only things he could see about his wife were the things he didn't like, and total happiness was leaving this and marrying that. And I looked at him, and I said, if you make this brain-dead choice, I guarantee you three to five years, you'll be coming right back to me, and there'll be somebody else, and this lady will be driving you crazy. And I went on to tell him about a friend of mine. At that time, ladies and gentlemen, he was leaving wife number three for wife number four, changed the names and the dates, and all the conversations were the same. He said, after three times, can he not figure out what he's doing? I said, why can't you learn from him? And I'm happy to tell you that Steve did not leave his wife of 23 years. He began to remember and work at intimacy. And today, ladies and gentlemen, Steve has not been married 23 years. Steve has been married 43 years, and it's better than ever. Can I be honest with you in love? This whole marriage thing gets a little heavy, doesn't it? Don't give me that pious look. James Dobson calls it the straight life. Ladies, you come home. There are three loads of clothes. All three kids need help with their homework. You feel like a single mom. You got to fix a meal all by yourself. Dads, you come home. The garage is a mess. The house needs work. Kids need to go to college, retirement. You really just want to join the club or buy the boat. It gets old. The answer to the straight life, listen to this, is not an affair. Because if you go there, number one, you're going to lose half of everything you own. And number two, think about this. In four to five years, you're right back in another straight life. The answer to the straight life is through hard work to build fun and excitement and creativity and romance and life into the marriage you're in right now. Some of you are in marriage one. Some of you are in marriage three or five. Whatever marriage you're in right now, it's God's place of promise for you. Work at it and make it work. There was a girl and her mom, they were going through a line, and the little girl said, Mommy, I want these pearls. And the lady said, Well, Jenny, they cost $1.98, and you get an allowance. Buy them yourself. She did. She wore them to school, church, out to play, everywhere except for the pool and the bathtub because mom said they were cheap trinkets and they would turn green. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? They turned green anyway. And one night the dad was tucking her in like he did every night. And he said, Jenny, do you really love me and trust me? She said, Daddy, you know I do. He said, if you love me and trust me, give me your pearls. Daddy, I'll give you baby doll. It's my favorite toy. I don't want baby doll. If you love me and trust me, one thing will do, one thing only. Give me your pearls. And over the next couple of weeks, she offered him everything. One night, he came in the room. Several weeks later, she's sitting Indian style on the bed. Big tears are rolling down her cheeks. He said, Jenny, what's wrong? Daddy, I love you so much, but no matter what I offer you, it's never good enough. I'm going to prove I love you. I'm going to give you my pearls. And as she dropped those cheap trinkets out of her sweaty palm, with the other hand, he pulled out of his back pocket a blue velvet case, and he took out of this blue velvet case a string of genuine cultured pearls. Ladies and gentlemen, he had had these with him every night for weeks. He placed them around Jenny's neck, and he said, Jenny, I love you so much, and I've wanted to show you how much for weeks, but I couldn't get you to let go of those cheap trinkets. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where we are today. 
Some of you are thinking about walking away from your family for some cheap trinket, and God is saying the place of promise is right where you are. Some of you right now do not know Christ. You're religious, but you don't have a relationship. You don't know Christ, and you need to let go of those cheap trinkets because everything you're looking for you will find in a relationship with Jesus Christ who created you, who loves you, who died for you. He wants to come into your life and put it all back together. God, thanks so much for the opportunity to get into your word. I pray that not one person would leave without you, that not one person would settle for less than your best. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to rule and reign in every single life. That is my prayer. No no one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask just a couple of simple questions. How many of you would say to me right now, Jerry, I know for sure, I know for certain, if I died right now, if Christ were to come back, I know I would go to heaven. I know that I've received him in repentance and faith. Lift him up real high. I know. I've settled it. Don't if you can't. Be honest because you can't fool God. How many of you would say this, Jerry, I'm not sure I know Christ. I'm not sure if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure there's ever been a time when I've really begun a relationship with Christ in repentance and faith, but I want to be sure. I don't know but I want to. How many of you would be honest and say that's me? Lift them up real high. I don't know, but I want to. God bless you. Thanks for being honest. Thanks for being honest. Any others? Just up and right back down. I don't know, but I want to. Pray for me. Lord, I lift up these who raised their hands, those who didn't that wanted to. Give us the courage to do right now what we'll be so glad we've done on the day we finally and forever stand before you. Now I'm going to ask you, if you will, please, to open your eyes and look right into mine. In just a minute, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. And I want you to listen carefully. If you raised your hand or you did not and you wanted to, to say, I'm not sure I know Christ, but I want to be sure. That either means that you know you don't know him or you have doubts about it. Either way, as soon as we stand and sing in a moment, I'm going to ask you as we stand and as we sing to keep moving. Don't stop moving and come right here. You say, why should I come publicly? Let me answer that. That's a great question. Number one, you need to come because Jesus said to. He said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. If you check it out in the Bible, he never let anybody make a private commitment. If there were two people or 5,000 people, he asked them to step out in front of their friends. So Jesus said, you can't come to me and be ashamed of me. Number two, I'm going to ask you to come for a very practical reason. The pastors are going to be here, and they're going to actually pray with you and help you to receive Christ. They're going to give you some material to help you grow and allow you to go back and join your friends. You're not coming to join a church. You're not coming to be baptized. You're coming to say, I want to begin a relationship with Christ. Just think, you're going to leave this room with some materials and resources. You're going to leave knowing you're forgiven and knowing that Christ will help you win in life. You can't get a better deal than that. And so I'm begging you to come. Some of you have already prayed to receive Christ. We had about four or five students in the last hour, and you prayed with me, and you nailed this down. As soon as we stand, you come. If you've prayed to receive Christ, you've never made it public, Listen to this. It's not an option. It's the command. It's the next thing you do. So you can't say I've invited the God of the universe to come into my life and be in charge and not do the first thing he wants you to do, which is to take a stand. So as we stand and we sing, you come. Some of you have been visiting this great church, and God is saying, stop visiting and be a part of the family. So as we stand and as we sing, you just come and let the pastors know that you want to be a part of this great congregation. All right? You know exactly what you need to do. We're going to stand together, we're going to sing, and as we do, you come. We'll meet you right here.